We're in Revelation chapter number 3. Uh, we started a study walking through the book of Revelation. Uh, today we're in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. And uh, I called this the Corpse Community Church. Uh, the Corpse Community Church. This past summer, uh, we had the opportunity and the privilege to go and uh, be a part of a church plant out in Bozeman, Montana. And uh, we went as a group, a mission team, and we stayed at a place called the Come On Inn. And uh, we were out in Montana, and so, and so, but don't let the name fool you. Uh, so we walked into this place, and it was, it was an interesting place. It was built kind of like a cottage with open beams and, and rustic wood feel to it. Uh, but when you went into the atrium area, uh, everything was built around a center atrium that was like three stories tall and all open, and they had built this man-made uh, rock configuration around these pools, so you had these little creeks, man-made creeks, and you had these rock formations, and you had all these animals that were in there, right? <clears throat> and when I looked in there, I was like, man, there's bears up in this place, and, and there's mountain lions up in here, and, and you start looking around there, and it's like, man, there's snakes over there, and, uh, and, and, and so, you know, some of our guys, in fact, they got their bows out thinking they're going to take them out, but uh, they look for real, but when you got close, you realize, you know what? <laughs> that buffalo can't gore you anymore. And uh, that, that lion, he can't even roar. Uh, and, and, and the snake, he's not going to bite you. They're not alive. They used to be alive. Uh, they look like they're alive, but they're not alive. And uh, this morning, we're talking about the church at Sardis. And the church at Sardis was a place used to be alive. And they looked alive, but they were dead as a doornail. And Jesus said, hey, really, this is the Corpse Community Church right here. And so he wrote them a letter. And, uh, you know, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse number 5, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 5, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power to avoid such as these. And so Jesus is now addressing, he's been writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor, uh, we're in chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1, to the church at Sardis. And the Bible says, to the, angel, uh, in, uh, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds. You've got a name that you are alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember... What you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so Jesus is writing to this church at Sardis. Sardis was a wealthy city. They were the capital of Lydia. In fact, uh, the city was pretty amazing, interesting fact, their main street was a colonnaded main street that was actual marble, and so it was pretty impressive. And uh, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, what we do is when we are blessed materially, we get very comfortable. 
And that's what was going on in this whole city of Sardis. And uh, they, were, they were a big city, pretty big town, 120,000 population, had a temple, had a theater, big theater, uh, large wool and carpet community, uh, the church. But the church, when you're talking about this church, uh, uh, there were people that would say, hey, have you, if you go to Sardis, if you ever go to the town of Sardis, make sure you visit that church. Make sure you visit the exciting church of Sardis. I mean, they had a reputation. It was like, man, you've got to go there. you just got to experience it. It's the exciting church at Sardis. And yet Jesus said, hey, it's not the exciting church. It's, it's just a church filled with dead people. God, help us make sure <clears throat> that we are tuned into his reality and not simply a reputation. And a lot of times what we do, if we're not careful, in fact, we live on several different planes. There's one plane that, that, that it's what, others people, what other people might think about us, what other people believe us to be, our reputation among outsiders. And then uh, there is who we as individuals believe ourselves to be. Uh, but then there's the reality at who Jesus says we are. And really, that's all that's important. Who does Jesus say we are? Who does he say I am? Who does he say the church is? And this morning, it's my prayer. I, I've been looking at this uh, this week and just studying this passage this week. And my prayer is that each one of us, it's the same prayer every week, but it's my prayer is that each one of us, that God would give us a circle around our heart because it's so easy to look at the church at Sardis and say, yeah, I can see where they fell off the tracks. It's so easy to look at those other people who have struggled along the way. But it's a little more difficult to see our own self in this picture uh, are we are we alive in the eyes of jesus christ god help us give us eyes to see what you see the introduction begins there in verse number one he who has the seven spirits of god again he's talking about the holy spirit he's saying hey listen i'm writing to this church and and, and by the way by the way <clears throat> i'm the one that holds the source of power for your church I'm the one holding the Holy Spirit of the living God. That is the power source for you as an individual. That's the power source for us as a church collectively. And he's just simply saying, hey, I'm the one holding the Holy Spirit of God. This number seven, just talking about the completion, is saying the Holy Spirit of the living God. There's a little description back in Isaiah chapter number 11 and verse number two, talking about the Holy Spirit of God. He says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so he's just saying, hey, that's a description of who the Holy Spirit of the living God is. He, in fact, is the source of power for any and every church. When you're talking about churches, the source of power is not who fills the pulpit. It's short, the, the, the source of power is not the performance that happens from a platform. The source of power is not found in how many people are sitting in the pews. That's not where the source of power is in any church. The source of power is when the Holy Spirit of God is moving in power and might. He is our source of power. And God, help us recognize Jesus is saying to this church, I've got the power. I'm holding the Holy Spirit of God. Not only am I holding the Holy Spirit of God, he goes on and he says this. He says, and the seven stars. And so who are the seven stars? We've talked before. I've got the pastors in my hand too. I'm holding on to the leadership in my hands. 
And when you're talking about dead churches, dead churches are dead for a lot of different reasons. One of them sometimes is because they're just flat dead preachers. I mean, you ever, you ever been around a dead preacher? You say, man, I'm looking at him. I hope you're not looking at him today. But you ever, you ever, <laughs> you ever been around a dead? I mean, I'm telling you, man, I've met some fellas that's a cure for insomnia. You ought not to be able to go to church and just sit there and say, man, he just lulls me to sleep every week. I might not be able to preach, but I'll just get loud. <laughs> God help us. <clears throat> sometimes it's leadership, but I tell you this. Sometimes the pastors are faithfully proclaiming the word of God, and the people just reject the message and get rid of him. Jesus is saying, I got them too. And so he starts out in verse number one after the introduction and he says, here's the condition of the church. Verse number one. Here's the condition of the church. The great physician has examined the one who holds the Holy Spirit, who knows the power source. And he begins to write. <clears throat> and he says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And he's just simply saying, you've got a reputation of being alive. You've got a reputation of being alive. How did you get the reputation for being alive? I, I believe that it's very possible that at one time they were very much alive. In fact, I, I think that there was life in them. Uh, and, and so they developed this reputation. And a lot of times what happens to us along the way, if we're not careful, is, is we begin to, to, to focus on a reputation, and really what matters most is what people think about us, and it begins to change our motives for why we do what we do. And the one who holds the Holy Spirit of God knows the motives of the heart. Other people don't know that. All they see is the performance. All they see is the preacher. All they see are the people, and they say, man, it's a happening place. But God examines the motives of the heart, and he says, the motives matter to me. Motives matter to God Almighty. And so search us today. They had a reputation for being alive, but yet they were dead. You know, it's interesting when you look through Scripture, the Bible tells us that <clears throat> we can lose uh, uh, the Spirit. The Spirit departs, not saying losing salvation, but just the Spirit's uh, anointing moves away from us. Judges chapter number 16 and Judges chapter 16 records the story of Samson. You know the story of Samson, the big strong man in the Old Testament uh, with all the hair? And, uh, but Samson was gifted by God in an incredible way. And Samson took his eyes off of glorifying God and started really boasting of his own strengths along the way. And the Bible says in Judges chapter number 16 and verse number 20, it's a really dark verse in the life of Samson, the superstar. The Bible says in verse number 20 of Judges 16, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke up from his sleep. And he said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. And you know what he was doing is he said, man, I can handle it. I mean, we've gone to the place where I, I no longer really am dependent upon the Holy Spirit of the living God. I got this. And that's what he was saying. And just like Samson, so many of us, if we're not careful, especially during the good times, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. How dark is that when the Lord departs from us? 
church is dead. You know, when you talk about something being dead, it's something that I was thinking about, and, and I thought, you know, what, 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 what constitutes something being dead? What do you mean dead? Because a lot of times we have the perception. I mean, I, I've been to churches where I felt like this is a dead church. You ever, you ever I mean, I, I've been there before. I felt like I could ice skate up and down the aisles because it was so cold. You walk into the congregation, nobody talked to anybody. There's no life in that place. It's like this is dead. But what constitutes a dead church? I would say something is dead when it fails to function or to fulfill the functions for which it was created. Something's dead when it fails to fulfill the functions for which it was created or established. Uh, like a car, for example. Just this past week, we went, <laughs> we went down to a, a, a junkyard uh, because we're getting a crash car for our drama coming up. And, uh, and we walked all through this junkyard, and, and, and there were all kinds of cars out here that once fulfilled the function for which they were created, but they no longer, so now they're down there in a cemetery for cars because they're just flat dead. They can't do what they once did. And so when you're talking about the church, you have to go back and say, okay, what are the functions of the church? What are we supposed to be about? What are we supposed to be about? Because if we're not careful, we create our own church. We create our own functions for the church. This is what the church is supposed to do. This is what the church is supposed to be. But there's a few things. Again, there's many things that the church is about. There's many things, but I'm going to give you three of them that I think are really, really important when you're talking about the church. One of them, first and foremost, would be, hey, the church exists to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. The church exists first and foremost to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And so to glorify God. How do we glorify God? Well, there's several ways we glorify God. Number one would be to worship. A proper response by us for who He is and for all that He's done for us. To worship. Everything about us is worship. But when we gather together for worship, it's about saying, man, He he saved me. He met me when I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. I cried out, and the master of the sea heard my cry, and he lifted me, and he saved me. And so we respond to who he is and for what he has done. And I'm just telling you, I believe that sometimes we've forgotten. We've forgotten how amazing his grace is. That's why sometimes we don't sing when we get together. So I just don't sing. It, it's it, it always amazes me, especially, especially during this time of year. It amazes me to people that come to church and say, man, I just don't sing. But if you watch them out there Friday night when Louisville was playing Florida State and Florida State put a whooping on them, aren't you thankful for that one? <laughs> We're lifting hands and shouting. Woo! You know what I'm saying? Because we're excited. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. I mean, if you're this way. <laughs> but it's amazing that the same people that get excited over a stupid football game no longer excited over what Jesus did for us when we gather together for worship. Are we glorifying God in our worship or are we indifferent? Maybe I'll show up for worship or maybe I won't. 
I'm not saying you, you, you come so that you're saved. But if you are saved, God help us never get to a point where we say, it's no big deal whether I show up. He's worthy of my worship. He's worthy. He's worthy. To glorify God simply because of who he is. That's our response, a proper response to him. In Acts chapter number 4, verse number 21, the Bible says it like this. Acts 4, verse 21 when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. In other words, what was happening here in this story, when you read the story, it's where Peter and John were coming into the temple, and, and, and there was a crippled man, and when they walked by the crippled man, it's when they said, hey, silver and gold I don't have, but boy, what we got, we'll give to you. And Jesus Christ healed that man. And as a result, as a result, they were glorifying God. That's the proper response. And so in verse 21, he says, On account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. That's our response, is to worship. God, help us to worship. And by the way, our worship need not be fabricated foolishness. What do you mean by that, preacher? Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we worship the performance rather than Jesus. Sometimes we worship everything else that's happening rather than Jesus. Hey, there's nothing wrong. Hey, some people, some people like to jump on there and say, man, if you got smoke and you got light, you're just trying to... No, there's nothing wrong with those. There's, there's nothing wrong with those things. I mean, there, there, there are people that don't worship in churches that don't even sing. Uh, so it's got nothing to do with those things. However, however, there are those that would make the claim, well, I can't worship here because you don't have the smoke and the lights. To which I would say you don't know what worship is. You, you, you don't know the one. You don't know the one that we're gathering to worship. We're gathering to worship the King of Kings. How do you glorify God? Number one, through worship, but number two, through obedient living. I mean, that's an act of worship to the God that saved me, is that, man, you are Lord of my life. I will obey you. It brings honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says it like this over in Matthew chapter number 5 and in verse number 16. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Obedient living glorifies Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we get to a point in our life where we say it's not a big deal, and it is a big deal. It is a big deal. We're walking through, I don't know why I'm going here, but, but, but we're walking through Exodus in our discipleship groups. And just this morning, I was reading early this morning from Exodus, and, and, and in the fourth chapter, I was reading through there, and in the fourth chapter, Moses uh, uh, was going back over there to do the will of the Father, but he hadn't circumcised his own sons. I mean, he had gotten a little bit indifferent and a little bit careless and reckless with faithfully obeying what God called him to do. And God was about to strike him dead. And yet we say, it's no big deal. What do you mean it's no big deal? Whether we obey or not obey. It's not our decision to make. God, help us recognize that our obedience is an act of worship 
and brings glory to Jesus Christ. And so a question before we leave the first one to glorify God is this for all of us. And I pray to God that we would ask ourselves this question with all sincerity. Here's a question to ask ourselves. Is my heart's desire to glorify God so that others might see Jesus clearly? Is my heart's desire to glorify God so that others might see Jesus clearly? And if we're not careful, that doesn't even cross our mind. To glorify God is the purpose for the church, one of the main purposes for the church. When the church, and by the way, if you're saved, you are the church. I, we, we, we collectively are the church. Am I alive or am I dead? Not only to glorify God, but when you talk about the church, one of the reasons for the church is to edify saints, to edify the saints. You realize that when we get saved, when we get saved, if you are saved today, then the Holy Spirit of God has gifted you uniquely. There will never be another one like you. We receive the Holy Spirit of God as a seal of our salvation, but also gifting us to enable us, to enable us to build a body. So in other words, he's saying, hey, there's a significant purpose for which you were saved. In fact, the Bible says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in verse number 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. In other words, man, I was gifted. Why? So that I might be a significant part in building other people up. To edify the saints of God, to edify the saints of God. The church is supposed to be that refueling station for believers when we gather together. It's not just so that we might come and hear a sermon preached. It's not just so that we can come and say, man, what kind of songs are we going to sing today? But rather, man, when I come, I need to come intentionally saying, hey, I'm a part of the body of Christ. And, and in fact, I'm a significant part of the body of Christ. He didn't just create me to be lint and the belly button, but he has called me to a specific purpose and a plan, and it's to build the body of Jesus Christ. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, what we do is we just say, it's not a big deal. I'm just here for me, myself, and I. So no, it's, it, it's so much more than that. It, it, it's about edifying the body. In fact, in fact let, me just, let me just hit this for just a second, because see, what we did is we went through this thing called COVID, right? Everybody knows what COVID is, right? I mean, yeah, we do. So, so, so this whole COVID thing has forced churches to say, man, we can do church at home. You can't do church at home. That's why he gifted you to build a body. How are you going to build a body over a computer screen? You can't do it. If I stay there, I'll say stuff that I'll regret later. But it grieves my heart. Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. The Bible says, and let us, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the question, 
to edify the saints. And I believe the question that each and every last person in this place needs to ask yourself is this. When I come to the gathering of the saints, do I come seeking to stimulate and encourage others? We become a very selfish people. In other words, we come and, 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 and lo a lot of times people will come and I just want to test the church. Who's going to talk to me? Well, they didn't talk to me today. Can I tell you that? I, I, honest to goodness, that's never crossed my mind. I, I, I believe, you know what I believe? I believe that even as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You might be here today looking for a church home, and God bless you. I'm grateful that you're here today, and he's probably calling you here. <laughs> but can I tell you that if you are a blood-bought child of God, you're a part of the family of God, and if you came today just simply looking for a church home, I'd say keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and look to glorify him and encourage others when you get here. Who's going to talk to me today? No, that's not, that's, not, that's not biblical. Who's going to talk to me today? Let me invest in somebody along the way. Y'all okay? <laughs> I am thankful to be here. To evangelize sinners. Evangelize sinners. Another reason for which the church is in existence. To evangelize sinners. To reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 28... 19 and 20, uh, to go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We ought to be busy about reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They matter to him. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. And if we're not careful, what happens to us is we just get comfortable and we forget the lost. In fact, the, the, the whole purpose, the whole purpose for this drama, you know, we got a drama coming up in a few weeks, and the whole purpose for the drama is just simply to present the gospel in truth. I mean, the fact of the matter is there's a heaven and there's a hell, and it's all for real. And it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment of God. One of these days, you're going to face Jesus Christ, and you need to understand and know what's at stake. And there's truth that gets shared with the gospel. It's always interesting to me, not just interesting to me, it actually grieves my heart sometimes to say, man, that's just not the way you do it. And yet you ask the question, when's the last time you shared the gospel? I'm not saying that's the only way to share the gospel is through a drama, but I'm just saying, hey, I'll take my way. You make sure you're practicing yours as well. It's reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful... We forget to glorify, to edify, to evangelize. And you realize this is all an overflow from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that's thriving. In other words, in other words hey, I can't detach myself personally from a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've got to get into his word, and his word's got to get into me. I've got to feed my soul from his word. And what happens is when we stay connected to the source, and we're going to get there because there's a church that we're going to talk about in two weeks from now that was disconnected from the source. <clears throat> but if we stay connected, then we stay alive. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. You're just going to die. You're not going to produce fruit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives life to us as individuals. He gives life to us collectively as well. And do you realize we can read the Holy Spirit and we can quench the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When you're talking about grieving the Holy Spirit, how do you, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Here's how you grieve the Holy Spirit. You grieve the Holy Spirit when He says, hey, I want you to, to, to go. And you say, no. I want you to do. And you say, not going to do it. We begin to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the power source as individuals and collectively. Not only do we grieve him, he says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. In the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 19, don't quench the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> God help us to be obedient and walk in the Spirit of God. What happens is when the church grieves the Holy Spirit and when the church quenches the Holy Spirit, the anointing leaves. And what happens when that happens is we no longer are concerned about glorifying God. It's not about glorifying God anymore. It's just about personal entertainment. It's just about a personal reputation. I want others to think something special about us. I want, something, I want others to think something special about me. We do that as individuals. I, I want them to think I'm a good person. When we quench and grieve the Holy Spirit, we no longer come seeking to edify the saints, but simply have our personal needs met and God help us I, I do pray that our personal needs are met along the way but he gifts us to build others <clears throat> to focus on others Jesus himself was focused on others when we grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit we no longer evangelize but what happens to us is we become indifferent to others in fact in fact here's what happens a lot of times we get comfortable in our faith. If, when we get comfortable, when we get to that moment where we get comfortable in our life, then we start saying, I can handle it. When my bills are paid, and I got good health, and I got friends around me, and I got a church that loves me, and I can just do life, a lot of times if we're not careful, that comfort, that comfort can lead to complacency. And the complacency can lead to compromise. Why does it lead to compromise? Because I'm seeking to keep my comfort rather than to glorify God. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful to God for our church family. 
over the years, it's, it's God, God put, put us in, a, in an incredible place. I'm grateful to God for that. This used to be cow pastures, and there's a lot of, lot of homes moving in. There's a lot of people moving in, and God help us. God help us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to do that, you've got to be willing to change, and I'm grateful to God that our church has embraced the changes that are happening. Why, why, why do we change? Because I want to make room for others that aren't here. That's why. Bottom line. I just want to make room for others that aren't here. How are they going to get here? Me and you inviting them. Me and you caring about the souls of those that we come into contact with every day. I don't want to be a church with reputation. I want to be the real deal. I want to be a church <clears throat> where the Holy Spirit of God is so heavy. There's so much fruit. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are exhibited in such a way that when people come, they say, man, I don't know what's there, but there's something powerful there. What is it? It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit of God. That's what it is. And God, help us to be the church that's alive. It's not just, it's not just theology. I had a professor that used to say to us, hey, <laughs> he, he talked raspy, but anyway, I won't do that. But he would tell us all the time, and, and I don't know, I, I bet you he said it a hundred times. He would say, hey, your theology can be straight as a gun barrel. But if your wick is wet, you're dead. It's not just about theology, although theology is important. God help us <clears throat> to be filled with your spirit. He says, hey, I know you got a reputation, but you're dead. And then he corrects him, gives him correction, verse number two and three. I need to move on. He said, wake up. Strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember uh, what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. So he says, first of all, wake up, wake up. In fact, he says it twice. He says, hey, make sure you wake up. You know what happens when you're asleep? You know what happens when you're asleep? You're oblivious to reality. That's what happens when you fall asleep at night. You, you, you become oblivious to reality. You checked out. And he's saying, hey, don't check out. Spiritually speaking, wake up. Wake up. Understand what's real. And he says, remember, remember. And so when, when we remember, he calls us to remember in several of these churches when he's writing. He says, remember. Why? Because we forget. He says, remember how amazed you were at God's grace when you got saved and you sought to glorify him everywhere you went. He mattered to you. He never lost, left your thoughts. Do you remember when you got saved? Man, I want to glorify God. He saved me, and I can't believe that he saved me. He says, remember, 
Remember that? Do you remember when you were overwhelmed when you got saved and you were told, man, you were gifted by the Holy Spirit of God and you said, man, how in the world, how, what can I do? What can I do to help others along the way? That, 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 that happened. I'm overwhelmed that I would be included in a church family. What can I do? And if we're not careful, something happens along the way. And we begin thinking, man, I mean, they, they, that, that church down there better think they're lucky stars that they got me. That happens along the way. It's disgusting, but it happens. When you got saved, you remember? When you got saved and you were so overwhelmed and amazed at God's grace, and you just saw people and you said, man, I wonder, I wonder if they know Jesus like I know Jesus. And you talk about him, you share him. You share him. He says, remember, remember, and repent. In other words, it's, it's, it's not just remembering and then saying, I feel bad about that. No, it's remembering and saying, God, forgive me. I am coming back to you. Reignite my flame. Whatever you got to do, God, I want to be with you. Stop doing what you're doing. Start doing what we want you to do. That's repentance. And, and, and it's interesting because as he's writing in verse number three, he says, hey, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to come to you like a thief. And he's not talking here. He's not talking about the rapture. That's not what he's talking about. I believe he's talking about a thief. He, he, he's making a point. What point's he making? Do you know when a thief comes? You know when a thief comes, what they do is they don't announce they're coming, number one. But I'll tell you what they do. They come in and they find everything of value and they take it away. What's valuable? I'm taking it. He's writing to the churches in Asia Minor. He's writing to churches specifically in the area of Turkey. It was the area of Turkey when he was writing this letter that the light was shining brightly with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, it's one of the darkest places on the planet. Why? Because Jesus came, and he came like a thief, and he took it away from them. And God help us not be like the church from Turkey. He goes on, he affirms, he says in verse number four and following, you got a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They walk with me in white, for they're worthy. He's got some, got some folks there. Just because just it's a bad church doesn't mean everybody in it's bad. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's some folks that, that haven't compromised their convictions. There's some folks that morally are okay there's some folks that have pure hearts before me and he says i see them <laughs> i see them and i'm gonna reward them <clears throat> he says this they're gonna walk with me in white for the worthy he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and i will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, over in Matthew chapter number 10 and verse number 32, and Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 32, the Bible says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. 
hey, by the way, everybody denies me, I'm going to deny before my Father in heaven too. But we have a fulfillment of that promise being talked about here to this church at Sardis. He says, hey, those that have been faithful, get a right road. Why? Because when you see me, you will be like me. And so imagine the scene he's talking about here. Imagine the scene he's talking about here. One of these days we're going to see him. All of us are going to see him. And he takes him and he says, hey, I'm going to walk with you down the streets of gold. And I'm going to rogue you. And you're going to be rogue just like me. And you and I, we're going to walk together. And as we walk together, we're going to walk. He's not embarrassed to, see. He's not embarrassed to be seen with those who are faithful. And as we walk down the streets of gold, Jesus Christ himself is going to say, hey, hey, angels, hey, angels, this is Brian. He was faithful back down there. He was faithful to me back down there, angel. Hey, father, hey, dad, hey, dad, dad, this is Brian. He, he was faithful back down there. What a day. What a day that will be. My question is simply this. Are you alive or is there a part of you that's died? Oh, he, he says, you might not be totally dead. He says, Whatever, whatever's not dead, go in there and make sure you fan that flame. Start there. Start there. What do you mean? It might be, it might be that, hey, listen, <clears throat> you're... You're that person that says, man, I'm all about edifying the saints of God. I'm all about grabbing, grabbing and edifying the saints. But I sure haven't shared the gospel lately. So that area's dead. Make sure you keep fanning that flame. But God revive me over here in this area and help me be what you've called me to be. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a member of the Corpse Community Church. I want to be alive. God help me. God help me. Stay connected to the source. Would you do me a favor today and join me for a time of prayer? And as we pray this morning, I just want to just ask you the question. Ever been a time in your life, ever been a time in your life when you've been born again? Where along the way you realize, man, I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says all have sinned. And our sin separates us from a holy God. And without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And so the thought that maybe you have that, man, if I'm just good enough, if I just go to church, I can fix myself. And the Bible says, man, you, you, it's impossible. You can't fix yourself. But that Jesus loved you, and he shed his blood for you. He paid the price for you. Salvation is a free gift. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. Jesus laid down his life and he took it up again. He's alive. We have a risen Savior. That's why when we get together, the proper response is to be overwhelmed. Great joy that can't be contained. So are you saved? You've been born again? That's where it begins. That's where it begins. And if not, I, I'm inviting you today to come. Never been saved. I, I want to come. I want to be saved today. I want to call on the name of Jesus today. We're going to be down front. We're going to sing a song after the song's over. We'll be down front. We would love to have you come today. Maybe here this morning, say, man, I, I'm, I've died along the way. I've died along the way.
but I want to be revived. I want to be revived. Hey, repent. That's the word for it. Before God today. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace that saves us. God, thank you for your tender mercies that we need so desperately every day. Thank you for being so good. Lord Jesus, today I pray, God, that you would move in power and might, have your way in our lives as individuals. God, as a church, as a church, it's not about the reputation about the reality who you say we are. God, give us eyes to see what you see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.